So this is a really crazy one. So this is EMFs. So electromagnetic frequencies, we've been surrounded by them forever because they're in microwaves and refrigerators and stuff like that. But now we are literally bombarded with EMFs because we have Wi-Fi, we have smart TVs, we have Wi-Fi speakers, we have Wi-Fi printers. Um, you know, we have all these wireless devices all over our house. So I think it's a really important thing to think about. Welcome to Waste Away, the intermittent fasting podcast. If you want to learn how to lose weight for life through intermittent fasting, burn fat, heal your thyroid and autoimmune issues, and break the bondage of food, then this podcast is for you. I'm Chantal Ray, author of Waste Away, the Chantal Ray Way, and each week I have different guests answering your questions. If you haven't had a chance to pick up your copy of Waste Away, visit ChantelRayway.com slash podcast and you'll automatically get 20% off the book, audiobook, recipe book, coaching, and Inner Circle Facebook group. Remember, the thoughts and opinions in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Hey guys, Aaron here. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that you can find our full podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Not only do you get to see Chantel and our guests, but you also get to see any charts, graphs, or pictures that we may mention. Search Chantel Ray Way on YouTube or click the link in the show notes. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to ChantelRayWay.com slash coaching. As always, enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode and I'm so excited. We have Dr. Christine Marin, who's a functional medicine physician. She has her own independent practice near Boulder, Colorado, but she also has remote consultations that you can do via Skype or via phone. And she's got patients all over Colorado, Michigan, and Texas. That's where she had a medical, that's where she has a medical license. So welcome, Christine. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So walk us through your medical journey and just your own personal health journey. Like, how did you start noticing some changes in your body as early as in college? And how did you become passionate about functional medicine? Well, you know, I was born and raised in Colorado, so I grew up with a very sort of holistic mindset. It was just kind of part part of the culture here and part of my upbringing. Um, But I really dove into functional medicine after my own health issues came to light with pregnancies. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you rewind back to college days, I, I was really actually a pretty healthy kid, you know, pretty healthy in college. I mean, in retrospect, I see that there were some warning flags that went up and, you know, I, I, acupuncture was the thing that helped me when I was in college. Um, I had issues with hormones and, you know, of course I saw an OBGYN and they suggested going on the pill. And I, even at that young age, I just felt like that's not really addressing my issue. I mean, what's really my issue. And anyways, at that time in my life, acupuncture did the trick, but fast forward to pregnancies. And that's really when things started to come to light. And when I started to realize I had some uh, underlying health issues that needed to be addressed. So, so what um, were yours? Yeah. So a lot of different things. And I always tell patients, it's like, it's usually more than one thing, but, um, food sensitivities and really severe gluten intolerance, potentially celiac disease. My, my diagnosis is a little bit complicated, but, um, when I was pregnant with my first daughter, I had gestational diabetes and I felt like, you know, what's, what's the real underlying cause for that? There's gotta be something else. I have zero traditional risk factors for that. And, uh, before I had my second child, we had recurrent pregnancy loss. So the recurrent pregnancy loss is really when I started diving in professionally and personally into functional medicine to figure out what was really going on. I knew at that point that there was something wrong and there was a reason why I couldn't 
uh, carry pregnancy to term. So, you know, I now have three healthy kids and they're doing great, but you know, it was a struggle at that part of my life. But you know, a lot of my issues go back to thyroid, digestive issues, food sensitivities, and gluten intolerance. Um, boy, what else is in there? <laughs> um, you know, a lot of like just hormone imbalance kind of stuff, but a lot of it was digestive in nature. And the root cause of that probably goes back to some issues with oral health. And um, I had root canals placed before all of this happened, um, took antibiotics for that. And um, my root canals have since been extracted, but went down the mm. whole dental journey as well. So I know you were speaking on the Candida Summit and you first kind of talked about that tie between your personal health and your gut health. And I'm super passionate about that. But how did you figure out, like, like what about dairy for you? Can you, can you do okay with dairy or what are some of the no. things? In yeah. yeah, no, I mean, for me, I figured out, you know, I, like many people, I started by eliminating gluten and thought like, I really am not sure if I have any issue with that because I'd accidentally have gluten, you know, at like my daughter's birthday party or something. And for that first three months, I had no, I, like, I really didn't know. But the longer I stayed away from gluten, the more uh, crazy obvious it became. I mean, at this point, if I get gluten exposure, I'm actually like pretty violently ill, I'm vomiting. It's like a food poisoning kind of reaction. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so at first it was just kind of gluten. And then I've since had to eliminate dairy. I mean, I'm, I'm really, really, really careful about gluten and I'm pretty careful about dairy, but I, you know, I did gotcha. a lot of food sensitivity testing too. And dairy has not really been one of those that has come up with me, but I mean, I can, you know, test it and I know that I have an issue. So, I mean, my main sure. symptoms are bloating. Um, so it's pretty obvious to me. Gotcha. So talk more a little bit about your teeth. So when you say, because I know I've, I've gotten at least one or two root canals. I can't even remember now because it's been a while. So what did you, like when you say you got it removed, talk to me about yeah. that. So it's a pretty big deal. Um, and I don't encourage people to just like kind of accept that um, without digging in. So so I had root canals, uh, I had some bad dental work in med school. And, you know, once I really looked at my timeline, I realized like, wait, all this digestive stuff started after I got these root canals placed. I never had digestive issues as a kid. I never had digestive issues in college. I mean, this all started after my root canals. So I also got antibiotics with the root canals. So, you know, it's, a, it's probably multifactorial. But um, things are just never the same for me after I got the root canals placed. And... Um, I had other symptoms too, uh, like this recurrent cough that I would get. And it just like, I never had that before. And I, f I just felt like there was something wrong with, with these root canal teeth. And um, I had a little bit of pain on them too. It wasn't like the pain that would wake you up at night. It was like super low grade, but it was just something I could notice. And so, um, you know, at that point I had really been doing a lot with functional medicine and I knew that, you know, root canals could potentially be an issue for people and it could pose a threat. I mean, it's this it can be a stealth infection. I mean, you have basically, I mean, they're dead teeth in your mouth. Nowhere else in the body do we leave something dead just sitting there. And so, you know, you can get a lot of infections from that. Now I do a test on people through their saliva. It's, it's an oral DNA test and you can look at the different pathogens in the mouth and figure out if there's dysbiosis in the mouth. So your listeners probably have heard about like dysbiosis in the gut, which is just mm -hmm. this collection of abnormal bacteria and like the bad bugs that you don't necessarily want. So you can get those same bad players in your mouth and that can cause a lot of issues. Um, you know, I mean, your mouth is like the first place where digestion starts. I think it's part of the digestive tract, but like I've never met a gastroenterologist actually who even 
asks about the mouth. So, you know, when people have poor dentition um, and root canal teeth, I, you know, I always take that into account because you're constantly swallowing saliva, you know, it can seed that gut for sure. Now, so I know that you, so you live in Boulder, Colorado or near there. And I know that you're licensed in Colorado, Michigan and Texas, but let's say someone lives because we, we have a lot of listeners all over the country. Um, California is actually our biggest, California and Texas are our two biggest states um, of listenership. <clears throat> but if someone doesn't, let's say they live in California, are you able to do a phone consult with them or how does that work? I only take patients in the states where I'm licensed. So just Cal- California is not on, on my list. Mm-hmm. Yep. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. And so talk to us about working with a biological dentist. Yeah. So I think that's really important. And I always tell patients, like, uh, I spend a lot of time figuring out who the best dentist is. I've moved a lot. I mean, my husband was a military doctor. And so we've, we've, that's why I have licenses in all these states. I mean, I'm in Colorado and back home to stay. But, you know, if I have had, had to, established care with different dentists in many different places. So when I went to medical school, I just picked some dentist. That's the reason I had my root canals. I mean, he uh, did some fillings and then I had pain and I got infections. I mean, it was, you know, I just didn't do my homework. And now I understand how important it is to work with a really good dentist and somebody who's reputable. So yeah, I feel like, you know, a biological holistic integrative dentist is really important. You can find them. There's a website called IAOMT, stands for the International Association of Mercury Safe Dentistry. So that's sometimes, that's a good place to sort of look. Um, But yeah, you want to make sure that your dentist understands that, you know, if somebody has a root canal and they're thinking it might be a problem, one way they can evaluate that is by doing a cone beam CT. And it's a 3D cone beam CT. And, you know, you can look and see if there's early signs of inflammation, things that you wouldn't see on an x-ray. And then, um, yeah, I mean, the process, you know, if you have to actually get a root canal tooth extracted, it's quite a process. And I definitely would want to work with a biological dentist for that kind of thing. Awesome. Your website is absolutely fantastic, by the way. Uh, I love it. And um, I want to talk to you about supplements because a lot of people on my my show, one of the things we constantly get because so many people, uh, you know, they listen to all these podcasts and then one guest comes on and says, oh, this supplement's good. So they start taking that. And then someone else says, oh, you need this one. And then, you know, we've had people that are like, oh my gosh, I love this show, but now I feel like I'm taking too many supplements. Um, and can that damage your liver? And if you had to really say, okay, you know, you can get out of control with this, but if I had to say these three things, what would be the supplements that you would recommend? So I think a multivitamin is really important. I mean, I think that's that's like sort of the foundational place to start. So I see all these people who are like taking selenium, taking zinc, taking vitamin A, taking vitamin D. You know, there's all these different supplements that people are taking, but they're not getting a multivitamin. And, you know, a multivitamin with methylated Bs is really important. So you want to make sure that the folate is not folic acid, it's methylcobalamin. I'm sorry, that's vitamin uh, B12, but it's methylfolate or MTHF or some variation of that, of of you know activated folate basically and same thing with with b12 which is um, methylcobalamin or adenosylcobalamin 
or um, basically stay away from the cyanocobalamin. I mean, generally, you know, when you're not using a really high quality multivitamin, they're just not using high quality ingredients. So um, you want activated bees and, um, you know, go with a really reputable supplier. For some women, menstruating women, generally I recommend a, um, a multi with iron, but it, it depends on the person. So I think it's an important thing to have checked. And then most people need additional vitamin D. I mean, I check vitamin D on all my patients and I would say, oh, 95 plus percent need additional vitamin D. So I usually recommend a supplement that has D3 with K2 um, and a fish oil, you know, usually a really good omega-3 fatty acid. So I think those are foundational. And then, you know, sort of beyond that, it, it depends on the person sort of what's going on. I mean, and when it comes to probiotics, I like probiotics and I think most people benefit from one, um, but some people actually have adverse effects from it too, so. Yeah, so, um if you need to go to her website, uh, everyone needs to do it. Go to drchristinemarin.com. And if you click on buy supplements, I love how you have it where you've got like eight different brands that you say, hey, this is what I kind of put my, my seal of approval on, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, so, and that site is good because it's, you know, you can get so many low quality supplements. And I think in a lot of cases you can do more damage than good. So I tell people, I'd rather you not take a multivitamin than take one from a cheap drug store. You know, sometimes they have all these fillers, they have like dye and gluten and a bunch of junk. And then what's in there is not necessarily, what they say is in there is not necessarily even in there. So you want to make sure you're using pharmaceutical grade supplements that had third-party verification. So essentially a third party has gone in, verified all their raw material, verified their final products, said there's no contamination, what's in there is in there. So, yeah. Yeah. And if you had to pick kind of your top two, I I love the Pure uh, brand that you have on there. I love that one myself personally. But if you had to pick your top two out of the different brands that you kind of give your seal of approval on, which one's kind of your favorite? Um, can I have like a top five? <laughs> How about top three? Top three. Okay. <laughs> Designs for Health, um, Orthomolecular, and Metagenics. Okay. All right. So I, you know, I've, I used to use a lot of pure stuff and I still use it here and there, but you know that they sold to Nestle. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that happened about a year ago. And so, you know, I think quality retrospectively has been very good and maybe it will be going forward, but I just have a little bit of hesitation, you know, with it, it being under so, a different, different umbrella. If you had to pick your number one with the orthomolecular or be the, your number I mean, one? I really or? think they're all good. And I think it depends on the thing. Like if you're looking for the best herb to treat, say, SIBO or small intestine bacterial overgrowth, I really like the Metagenics line for that. So I use, that's part of the reason why my dispensary has all mm -hmm. these different brands is because I like certain brands for certain things. Like I really like the Metagenics multivitamin for women. I use their Phytomulti with iron myself. Um, in terms of fish oil, I like the designs for so, health one a lot. Say that one one more time. So, so if someone I use is the Phytomulti with iron from Metagenics, okay. it's called Metagenics Phytomulti with iron. That's what I give my kiddos to, not that particular supplement, but they have a MetaKids line that I like a lot. And so they have a kids multi, but I really like their multi and I really like their pregnancy essentials packets. So it just depends on, you know, what we're going for. And so if you, um, if someone is struggling with thyroid issues, yeah. what would be the one that would be your go-to for that? Um, you know, I would do a multivitamin and then I would do, um, 
it depends on the person, but I try to pick a supplement that has a little bit of iodine, a little bit of some sort of adaptogen to support the adrenals like ashwagandha. Um, and I would probably designs for health has thyroid synergy that I use a lot. There's some ginseng in there too, but sometimes that could be too stimulating for people as well. But that's generally my go-to. So before we get started on all the listener questions, I wanted to ask you something we always ask everyone. Walk us through a day in the life of, of what do you eat? So like, what do you, what's your different meals? What do you eat? When do you eat them? Yeah. So um, here's the caveat. I'm a mom of three and my husband's a surgeon and I don't have a lot of time these days. Mm-hmm. I'm breastfeeding my daughter um, who is 10 months. So I'm sort of just still emerging from this like postpartum cloud. So at this point in my life, I definitely eat more carbohydrates than normal because I'm nursing. And I notice that my milk supply goes down when I don't do that. So I start my day actually with a smoothie. I've pretty much, I've done that for years, but more recently I've gotten really into smoothie box. So they deliver these little pouches, um, and they have vegetables and fruit and pretty low sugar content, which I like because sometimes with smoothies, you know, if you have a bunch of fruit and banana, Yes. 25, 30 grams of sugar. It's like way too much. So they're not very sweet, but they're, they're good. I add a little bit of coconut milk kefir and some coconut milk and um, collagen protein. So that's usually my breakfast. They have three different flavors. So I basically always start with a smoothie. If I don't have that in my freezer, I'm sort of like, what do I do? Um, but it's good because, you know, in between getting ready for patients and getting my kids to school, I can sort of have my breakfast on the run, which isn't the best thing in the world, but it's the reality of being a mom of three. So then lunch, um, if it's a clinic day where I'm really busy, it's like quick leftovers from my dinner the night before generally. So I try to make a really big dinner so I can eat leftovers the next day. And, you know, sometimes it's like, uh, let's call it accident fasting (laughs) since that's trendy. Right. But like, uh, I don't have a ton of time. So um, I, I try to do leftovers. I do a lot of green juice too, like for lunch. And when I'm at, at work, I try to do like a no fruit green vegetable juice um, during the day, just so I get extra plants in. And then for dinner, I always make a really pretty good dinner at home. We all, you know, as a family, we try to eat together. And generally that is, I try to sort of plan it. So like half of the plate is some green or um, like low starch vegetables. So usually that's like broccoli or cauliflower, big salad or asparagus. I try to really focus on variety too. So we're not like eating the same thing all the time. Variety is really important for the gut microbiome. So I just try to keep a lot of variety in it. So some sort of veggie um, and I do a pretty simple preparation. Like I steam it or I roast it and do like salt, olive oil, lemon juice. I mean, that's like my go-to. And then I'll do about a quarter of the plate with like a starchy, either potato or sweet potato beets or something like that. My husband like doesn't survive unless I have some sort of starch on the plate. And then I'll do like a quarter of that, some sort of protein, like um, grass-fed beef or pastured chicken or something like that. Sometimes wild salmon, scallops. So that's sort of like our go-to. And that's, yeah, we try to keep it simple, but... Great. Let's jump right into the listener questions. This is from Sarah in Utah. I was talking with a few close girlfriends the other night about our stress and anxiety. Several of them are on antidepressants, anti-anxiety medicine, but this is something I'm not ready to explore, mostly because of the side effects and also because I hate taking medication. I focus on prayer, meditation, bubble baths, all the natural stuff, but I've been doing some reading and wondering if my 
anxiety could be hormonal. How can I recognize anxiety that's related to my hormones and how can I regulate it without a prescription? Sarah in Utah. Okay. So that's a good question. So, um, with mood, I always talk to my patients and I say mood is really a symptom. I mean, it's a very real problem, but it's not like a disease. It's a symptom of something else going wrong. So if we think, if we suspect that potentially it's a hormone symptom, then, you know, the most common one I would see with anxiety is a low progesterone or estrogen dominance. So estrogen progesterone balance is very important. And sometimes I see people with just very low progesterone and tons of estrogen. Um, so I would say if it's a cyclical thing that you're noticing and you're getting more anxiety around the time of your period or around the time of ovulation, that's when I would sort of have more suspicion there. And then especially if there's other symptoms to suggest, um, hormone imbalances. So, um, that might be, you know, estrogen dominant kind of symptoms where there's a lot of breast tenderness or fibroids or really heavy, painful periods, um, And then it could also be sort of low progesterone symptoms, which could be weight gain and anxiety and fatigue, um, trouble sleeping as well. Now, are you a fan of progesterone cream? Like for people that hormone? I generally, it depends on my patients. I, for, to try to increase progesterone, a lot of times I'll use Chase Tree or Vitex. It's um, same name, diff- same product, different name. Um, so I'll, I'll use that. Sometimes I'll use some topical progesterone. And in a lot of my patients, depending on where they are in life and depending on their hormone testing, I mean, I always look at, uh, I look at what's called the Dutch test, which is a dried urine test for complete hormones. And if I see that they have a very low progesterone, but a preference for the metabolite called alpha pregnandiol, I'll sometimes use an oral progesterone, which can help a lot, just sort of depending on where they are and if they're really struggling with anxiety and depression. You know, sometimes it's like progesterone might work better than an anti-anxiety medication with less side effects, so. Awesome. Pam in Houston, I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with me. Who isn't, smiley face, because I feel like I haven't been well in several months, but I can't determine the cause. I thought it could be a candida issue, but I had a stool test done and it didn't and it looked normal. Should I rule out candida altogether or is there another way I could test it? Oh yeah, totally not. Um, a stool test that's negative for candida does definitely not rule out candida. Um, if you have a stool test that's positive for candida, usually that rules it in and you know like exactly what's going on in there. But there are different varieties of yeast and oftentimes a stool test is a, is a false negative test. So my favorite way to look for candida is an organic acid test. So Great Plains has something called a moat or an oat. A moat is just the microbial organic acid test. It's the first page of that test. And there's nine fungal markers. So that's the most comprehensive way to look for it. Um, and then, you know, just pay attention if there are symptoms that seem very candida specific, that tends to be like people with itchy ears, anal itching, carb cravings. Um, there's non-specific symptoms too, of course, like brain fog and um, fatigue and things like that. But um, yeah, definitely stool test is actually not my favorite way to look for candida. You can also test for it in the blood, but I don't really think that that is the best way to look for it. You can do candida antibodies. So if somebody isn't in one of the, te- the states that you talked about, but they want to get a stool test, is that something they can do online? And is there one that you say, hey, you can go to this site and get, you know, this this one that I recommend. For candida specifically or do it like Just an any. stool test? Um, so there are some places where if you Google um, where you can buy them for 
I mean, they're usually more expensive when you do it that way, but there are some clinicians who sell them online. I'm not sure how they do it or how the legal aspect is. I mean, it's so tricky with doing virtual care and telemedicine. So, I mean, the laws are very, from state to state, totally vary. So anyways, um, I'm not sure really how they do it, but I know you can buy them through people online. Mm. Nobody's going to help you interpret them. And then, you know, the question is like, how useful is that? But Hey guys, we absolutely love getting your questions into the podcast, but we're also interested in your journey. So if you've started intermittent fasting and have some success or even struggling a little bit, we want to hear about it. Email me your intermittent fasting stories to Chantel at ChantelRayWay.com. Now back to the show. This next one is Alyssa in Chesapeake. One of my friends who is a health nut recently had her feces sampled to check her micro gut microbiome. This is something that I never heard of and it just sounded a little extreme. I've heard a lot about gut health lately. My Instagram feed has tons of people selling products to increase gut health. When I was growing up, my grandmother always told me to eat yogurt for a healthy stomach but I don't prefer dairy products and try to limit my carbs. What are some other things I could be doing, drinking or taking to encourage a healthy gut without going too overboard like my friend? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. Um, I've definitely gone too overboard over here. So, <laughs> um, okay. So one of my favorite things for gut health is called resistant starch. So resistant starch, you can prepare lots of foods to encourage them to have more resistant starch. And it's resist digestion in the small intestine and preferentially feeds the good guys in your large intestine, especially something called butyrate. So butyrate's a short chain fatty acid. It's been studied actually associated with weight loss, colon cancer reduction, um, inflammatory bowel disease. I mean, it has a ton of really beneficial properties. So you want to encourage production of this short chain fatty acid butyrate by feeding it resistant starch. So resistant starch foods are cooked and cooled sweet potatoes, cooked and cooled rice, cooked and cooled potatoes and grains actually. So if it's somebody who eats grains, you know, you can do, you do prepare it that way. Beans actually have some resistant starch too. So it just depends, you know, if somebody's paleo, you can totally get resistant starch um, through other kinds of things. Sweet potatoes. You can do it through sweet potatoes. You can use green banana flour. And um, I use green bananas. I used to use them in my smoothies all the time. So I'd buy green bananas and cut them up and put them in the freezer when they're green. And then you put it into your smoothie and you've got resistant starch. So, um, so resistant starch is a really good way. So um, there are other prebiotic foods. So basically eating a lot of plants, you know, especially things like leeks and onions um, have a lot of prebiotics. So prebiotics are the things that feed the healthy bugs in your gut. You can also use probiotics. So probiotic foods, you mentioned yogurt. I don't avoid dairy as well, but I do a non-dairy kefir, which is through Forager brand. It's a cashew kefir. So you can you can incorporate other types of fermented foods like that, or um, there are like gut shots and things like that. You've seen with the sauerkraut and um, kimchi and pickled kind of vegetables. You want to make sure they're lacto-fermented things that you get out of the refrigerator section and not like the sauerkraut in a jar that's on the shelf. Um, so those are all kind of good, good things that you can eat to feed your gut microbiome. Now, why does it have to be cooked and cooled? Explain that part. It's like what's part how the- it forms resistant starch. I mean, it's just, I don't know. That's just how the resistant starch is formed. So 
Go ahead. So just explain that a little more. So like if I was going to do it, I would go bake, I'd bake the sweet potato Mm -hmm. and then how long would I have to wait for it to cool for it to build that? I usually say um, bring it back to like room temperature or just stick it in your fridge. What I do is I cook like a big sheet of sweet potatoes and some we eat some of them for dinner and then the rest of them I stick in the fridge and then eat the next day. So the same thing like if you're doing rice, somebody was to eat rice, you cook an extra batch or whatever, stick it in your fridge and then you could use it to make like fried rice. Um, so I don't, I mean, and then how much can you, you can't heat it up too much either. So you have to be careful, you know, if you're going to reheat sweet potatoes, you can reheat them, but you can't, like if you really zap them, they lose some of that. So you just have to like lightly, gently heat them kind of quickly Hmm. or just eat them cold. Gotcha. (laughs) But I think back to that question, the other side of that is what you're not eating. That's really important for your gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. So, um, and probably more important is like what you're avoiding. So pesticides are really antibiotics in our gut. So like staying away from more conventional products that are sprayed with pesticides because those kill the bugs in our gut. I mean, it's essentially like an antibiotic. Um, And then sugar can be, you know, feed a lot of the candida. So eating a lot of refined sugar products Um, and processed foods, yeah. Awesome. Terry in Fluvana, which I have no idea where Fluvana is. Uh, it says, I had a radical hysterectomy in my early 50s because of a cancerous cyst. At the time, my doctor didn't want me to take any hormones because of the cancer scare. It's been seven to eight years since the surgery, and I haven't found any good alternatives to use as a natural hormone replacement. What would you recommend? Um, you know, it really depends on symptoms. I mean, seven to eight years afterward, if somebody is still having a lot of hot flashes, um, or anxiety or trouble sleeping, I think number one, I like to get data. So rather than, you know, I say, don't guess test. So I like to do that Dutch test and really see, is it estrogen or is it estrogen and progesterone or is it just something else entirely? So I look at all of those things. So, um, if it's, if it's hot flashes, one of the big things I consider is adrenal health. So adrenal is what produce cortisol. So if somebody's having a lot of hot flashes, I really think about supporting the adrenals and regulating blood sugar really tightly. So in terms of supporting the adrenals, some of my favorites are ashwagandha, rhodiola. I like one from Designs for Health called Adrenotone. Um, and sleep is really important, but of course it's this vicious cycle where you know, if people aren't getting sleep, that's really bad for their adrenals. But then if they have adrenal dysfunction, they can't really sleep very well. So you have to kind of um, get it from both ends. But um, <clears throat> progesterone cream, as you mentioned before, is an option. I mean, you can use different types of topical progesterone and things like Vitex to try to increase them or you just use oral progesterone. I mean, it could be that the doctor might not want to use estrogen, but they would be willing to use progesterone. So Awesome. Connie in Concord. I have had the worst heartburn lately, especially in the middle of the night. Sometimes it wakes me up. Do you think that this is caused by something I'm eating? I've never eat right before bed and I usually don't have my last meal before 6 p.m. Are there foods that I should not be eating or any natural remedies? Yeah. So um, yes, I think it's because something you're eating. So um, often this is the case. And I find that people are sometimes 
they think that they have reflux and they have too much stomach acid. And so they try to bring it down mm -hmm. with like a proton pump inhibitor to stop the stomach acid. And then you digest your food less. And that's actually associated with more food sensitivities and SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth and all of these issues with your gut microbiome. So I really try to avoid proton pump inhibitors um, if at all possible. And if you have to use them, I say use them really short term. So that said, natural remedies would be, you know, you could use DGL licorice and um, zinc carnosine. Those can be helpful for gastritis. Um, the other thing I like to do is to test people's stomach acids. So if you want to go really easy, you could just try doing like a shot of apple cider vinegar with meals and see if that helps you feel better. Sometimes when people get GERD, a shot of apple cider vinegar does the trick. But you could also test your stomach acid using this supplement called betaine HCL. And so you have to be careful with this. It's definitely not something you want to like open and chew or, you know, split in half or anything like that because it is acid. It's a, it's a replacement for stomach acid. But you can start with one per meal and see how you feel. If you don't feel anything, I tell my patients to take two with the next meal. If they still don't feel anything, they can go up to three with the next meal. And, you know, with three, if they feel something with three, I say bump back down to two. But some of my patients, and I was like this, can get up to like six or eight, and you never feel a thing. And that tells me somebody has hypochlorhydria or low stomach acid. So often GERD is associated with that hypochlorhydria. And then really getting to the root cause of that is another question. I mean, it might be a thyroid issue. A lot of times, you know, we're in this very sympathetic dominant state in our culture, meaning, you know, there's a lot of stress. I mean, there's the sympathetic nervous system, parasympathetics. When your sympathetics are on fire, that is not a state, a place to rest and digest. That's all about parasympathetic. So really um, trying to bring back that parasympathetic tone with meditation and relaxation and stuff um, is important. And, you know, not eating on the run like I do with my breakfast every morning. Um, just trying to really sit down and digest your food um, helps. But I think, too, it's just getting down to that root cause of, like, is there a food that you're eating? It's usually not the tomato that's causing the problem. Sometimes that can be a symptom of your underlying inflammation, but what is it that you're eating that is causing the issue? So for somebody with GERD, I would recommend really doing an elimination diet, just short term. Um, one that I like is the Whole30 or something like that, where you just take out the more inflammatory foods for at least 30 days and then add them back and see if, if any of those trigger the symptoms. Awesome. This next one is from Heather in City Park. I'm so thankful for your podcast. You've really helped me with help me feel like I'm not alone with my struggles with autoimmune issues. My son is five and he suffers from eczema. I'm so sad for him that he inherited this from me. I have found that fasting has really helped with my eczema. Unfortunately, this is not an option for a five-year-old, LOL. Are there any natural creams or remedies that you recommend that are child-friendly and safe for the whole family? Yeah, good question. So I have kiddos at home as well. One of mine has eczema, my three-year-old. So um, yeah, and hangry is not something you want with a five-year-old. I get yes. it. So one um, thing I like is actually called um, mother dirt. So it is a spray that you can put on to help with the skin microbiome. So we talk about the gut microbiome and that collection of organisms in your gut and all these bugs. You have one on your skin as well. You have one in your mouth, like we talked about earlier. So all of that is important. Anyways, you can use mother dirt to, to spray that on and then cover it with an emollient cream. Um, so that's one remedy. And then, you know, just be really, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm guessing your listeners probably pretty careful about the kind of products she's using, but I would make sure that, you know, they're, uh, 
EWG skin deep approved kind of products. So meaning, you know, if, if the environmental working group has a database called skin deep where you can look up the products and see if they're um, have certain toxins in them or not. So just being careful about that. And then really diving into gut health. So, um, so food sensitivities, it's interesting because the more recent literature is actually suggesting that things like peanut allergies could be caused by a issue with skin barrier. So in other words, kids with eczema are getting peanut allergies because they're getting exposure to those antigens in the air, like through peanut dust, through their skin. So it has to do with skin barrier function. We talk about gut barrier function and leaky gut, but there's also this leaky skin thing that I think is an important component. So I think that's an important thing to know just because I think treating eczema pretty aggressively is important to prevent food allergies, especially in kiddos. Um, and I would really look at gut health with kids. So when there is eczema, I go straight to the gut. And that's when I really like to do stool testing and organic acid testing. Of course, that's something, you know, she'd need like a holistic functional medicine practitioner for. So where is she located? Um, let's see. She was in Heather in Park City. See, that's the thing. I didn't, I'm telling you, I made straight A's in school, but I did not do, the only class I didn't do well in is geography. And it's coming back to haunt me because people yeah. like write these things and say where they're from. I'm like, Park City, where is that? If they don't put the Utah. state. I know that. Park um, City is Utah? Park City, Utah. Um, but I don't know a functional medicine practitioner with kids off the top of my head there. But that's what I would, uh, that's where I would look. You know, awesome. probiotics can be helpful, but it's like really, if there's a pathogen in the gut that you need to sort of treat or remove, I think you kind of have to start there. There is a lotion. You can buy it on Amazon. One of my friends actually owns it here in Virginia Beach, and she has a thing called The Farm Life. Uh -huh. And oh, yeah. it's, like it's called, yeah, and uh, that's the brand. It's called The Farm Life. So you enter in The Farm Life, but it's, it's called Renewing Night Cream. And it's, it's supposed to be just a night cream for your face, but it's very emollient. And for me, I have found it really, really helps with psoriasis and eczema. So oh, cool. if that's, okay. I'm gonna that one has, yeah, it's really good. Oh, cool. And it smells delicious too. Okay. Awesome. This, this is Jen. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, this next one is Jen in Virginia. It says, I was on a road trip with my friend and she kept lecturing me because every time I picked up my phone while it was charging, I had to use it for my GPS. And she's always buying into all this hippie stuff and lecturing me about it, LOL. But she got me thinking that there really could be something behind holding an electric current in your hands. Do you buy into this? What about Wi-Fi? Do you think we're poisoning ourselves with all the Wi-Fi floating around in the air? Jen There's and so Virginia. many good questions. I love your listeners. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is a really crazy one. So this is EMFs. So electromagnetic frequencies. We've been surrounded by them forever because they're in microwaves and refrigerators and stuff like that. But now we are literally bombarded with EMFs because we have Wi-Fi, we have smart TVs, we have Wi-Fi speakers, we have Wi-Fi printers. Um, you know, we have all these wireless devices all over our house. So I think it's a really important thing to think about. We can't escape it. We can't, you know, turn off. I mean, for people who are truly EMF sensitive, they hardwire their home and like use ethernet and things like that. But I think it's a really good idea to mitigate Wi-Fi at home. And so especially at night and especially in the bedrooms. So I'm really cognizant in my kids' rooms that I don't have things that plug into the wall near their bed. 
sounds super crazy, but yes, I think it's a thing. Um, especially like iPad devices, no, no iPads mm -hmm. in the room, especially for kids. I mean, you know, they don't really have their own iPad anyways, but <clears throat> if your kids have an iPad, don't put it in the room and keep it on airplane mode as much as possible. Also, you know, if you, if your kids have an iPad, like on the plane, I try to download it and then put it on airplane mode so they can, so it's not like this Wi-Fi device sitting in their lap all day. Um, kids are definitely more vulnerable to it. Um, but, you know, with a cell phone, Environmental Working Group has this whole um, helpful infographic on sort of the healthy ways to use a cell phone or, you know, the less harmful ways rather. Um, so some things that you can do in terms of cell phones. So texting is better than calling. If you're calling, use a not wireless headset like this one. Um, keep your phone off the, off your face. So, you know, talk like this rather than this. So there's actually studies looking at increased rates of brain tumor and there's suggestion that potentially Wi-Fi and wireless phones play a role in that. So, you know, it's really, it's really not, um, as hippie as it might sound. Um, so there are ways that you can measure it in your home. I think they're called Gauss meters and you can go and like actually detect if there's like high frequency in certain rooms. And there are actually people you can hire to come to your house and assess electromagnetic frequency. So if you live in a home and there's like giant electrical poles outside of that home, that's sometimes an issue um, in certain homes. And it really just depends on like on the surroundings and it's some of the stuff that you'd never know. So hiring people is, is sometimes helpful with that if you really want to kind of take it far. But if you want to just keep it simple, keep the cell phone off your head, put it in an airplane mode, keep it away from the head of your bed, plug, unplug your Wi-Fi at night, keep your wireless printer unplugged, just plug it in when you need to use it. Um, don't put wireless speakers in your bedroom, things like that. Awesome. Okay, this is from Rachel in Flower Mound. Where is Texas. Flower Mound? Oh, really? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> okay. A couple episodes back when one of the doctors was thinking about, okay, a couple episodes back, one of the doctors was talking about taking an HCL supplement and how it really helped with digestion because your stomach needs to have acid. This got me thinking, I have an alkaline water machine that I spent $5,000 on, but now I'm starting to second guess it because it makes sense that your body would need some sort of acid to digest your food. Why would I want to drink alkaline water to remove all the acid I need for digestion? What is your opinion on alkaline water, specifically as it's related to digestion, and did I just waste $5,000? Rachel in Flower Mound. So good question. I will tell you, I do not have alkaline water myself. I don't tell patients to buy it. Um, I don't know, there might be something to it, um, but there really has not been any convincing literature to suggest that the acid alkaline myth is real. Um, I do think though acidic, you know, acidic foods like grains and meat and sugar, I mean, obviously those are not great for us. So I don't know, there might be something to it. Now, when it comes to stomach acid, you know, I just mentioned a little bit ago about taking an HCL supplement, how your stomach is designed to be highly acidic and that's uh, that's important. So the question of taking alkaline water, if you, I think it can interfere because it's a high pH. So it can interfere with your stomach acid. I think what I would say is don't drink 
a lot of alkaline water with your meals, which is what I tell people anyways. If you drink a ton of water with your meals, you're diluting your digestive juices. So drink your water in between meals, have a, just a small amount of water with your meal, preferably something that's warm and, you know, soothing and really encourages your digestive juices to get going. Um, like, you know, I talk about Asian cultures, you have a little glass of tea with your meal. That's really the way to help encourage digestion. So I don't know if you wasted $5,000. Um, I would make sure that alkaline water filter filters out the impurities. That's the most important thing, I think, with water, making sure you're not getting like heavy metals and chlorine and fluoride in your water and um, try to not drink a ton during your meal. Yeah, I agree 100%. My my opinion, I, I have an alkaline water machine at my house and I actually never drink it on the alkaline water. I just drink it on the the when it has the h2o regular because it does a great job of purifying the water and it's really clean water but i suggest drinking no water if you, if you have any kind of digestion issues at all it helps my digestion immensely when not just like have a little bit of water you have to train yourself to not drink to really drink water way before, you know, 20 minutes to an hour before and at least, you know, 20 minutes to an hour after. But it made, has made such a big impact on my digestion that I say do every, like now I, I get to the point where I, like when someone says, what can I get you to drink? Like when I go to a restaurant, I just say nothing, thank you. Because if it's in front of me, I'll just sit there and drink it because I'm so used to doing yeah. it. I mean, it's really crazy because when you go to this restaurant, you have this giant thing of ice water in front of you, right? And it's like, it's the worst thing for digestion, but worst. it is such a, it's an American thing, right? Like yes. you go to Europe, they don't ever do that, but um, yeah. It's a huge thing. So yeah, I've just gotten to the habit that I just say, thank you very much, but I will have nothing. And then they look at you like you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, you know, but that's okay. All right, Pamela in Virginia Beach influenza like I've never I don't normally people don't say influenza but the flu is running rampant in Virginia and I have three school age kids at all different schools so I feel like there's a big bullseye on our family is there anything I can do to prevent the flu in my family and if it hits how can we expedite the process? That's a great question because we are having the flu like crazy around here. Mm -hmm. That is actually one of my most popular blog posts is all of the stuff to take for the flu. I did this post when my daughter got the flu last year. Um, so, and I say, you know, just keep your medicine, medicine cabinet stocked with these natural remedies. So like you're ready to go. Cause if you've got the flu or you've got any mm -hmm. symptoms of it, you need to start it like ASAP. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, there's a lot that you can do for prevention for school aged kids. It's really important to have an optimized vitamin D level. So vitamin D is really important for the immune system. So give your kids vitamin D supplement and, you know, a good multivitamin throughout the year. Um, but make sure they're, you know, if you could ask their pediatrician to check a vitamin D level, I think that's a good idea. I like to see it around like 50 to 70. So that will help prevent things. Um, one of my favorite supplements is something called Monolaurin, Lorisidin. And Lorisidin is the brand. Monolaurin is um, the supplement. But that particular brand I really like. It's these little tiny pellets and kids can actually take it, small kids. Um, you don't chew it, you just swallow it. But they're tiny, tiny, like maybe a third of the size of a Tic Tac kind of thing. But um, that is actually a great antiviral. So it's 
sort of like the same idea as Tamiflu where it unwraps the envelope around the virus. So it works for lots of different things as long as it's an enveloped virus. So Epstein-Barr virus or mono is one of them and so is influenza virus. So one of those is my favorite. Um, elderberry is another favorite. So mm -hmm. you want to keep elderberry syrup um, stocked. That in studies has been shown just to be as effective as Tamiflu, we're going to say. Yeah, I was going to say that um, there is that my friend that I had that I told you about that she makes that oh, yeah. same product. Life. Yeah, the farm life. Well, they do a product called elderberry that you make at home. And so it's it's so awesome. No, and you make it yourself and you can add your own like organic honey. But like even some of the elderberry gummy, but it's called the elderberry herbal syrup kit by the farm life. And it is fantastic. It is really good. Try that one. I'll check it out. Um, so what are my other favorites? Vitamin C. I mean, that's a, you know, pretty well-known one. Um, and you can go pretty high doses on vitamin C. You just have to watch for any GI distress. Um, probiotics are a big one. So I give extra probiotics whenever my kids are about to get sick. I give them tons of probiotics. I like the chewable ones from Metagenics, Medikids ones. Clara Labs also has some good chewable kids probiotics. And then, you know, I take... Uh, my probiotics are a different story. Um, let's see, what else is on there? So there's the oxalococcinium. That's the homeopathic one. You've probably seen it in Whole Foods or the grocery store, that crazy OCC one. Um, so that homeopathic remedy I like. I also do a lot of nasal irrigation, especially in the winter months. This isn't so good for kids, but it is for mom. So nasal irrigation with something called X-Clear, X um, actually, it's X-L-E-A-R. You can buy it at like Target, but it's a xylitol saline nasal rinse, and that helps to just sort of rinse all the viruses out of your nose. Not all, but, you know, awesome. helps to keep you from getting sick. Uh, but yeah, look at my blog post because there's more. I think there's 12 different things on there or maybe 10. I don't remember. All my stuff. Awesome. Well, Christine, this has been an absolute pleasure. And everyone, go to drchristinemarin.com. It has such valuable resources. She's got amazing articles on there, and it's just a really pretty site. Um, you've done a great job with it. Um, we always ask everyone, we will do a kind of a giveaway. Is there anything you'd like to do as a fun giveaway for our listeners? Yeah. How about uh, my favorite multivitamin? My favorite okay. multivitamin with iron. So make sure okay. you're menstruating female if this is your giveaway. Okay. <laughs> so so we'll so we'll say that it will be like you. That'll be a funny it's funny um like tagline right in the front. Like it'll say like Are, are you, you a menstruating Are you menstruating Are you a menstruating woman? Read on. So that'll be fun. Well, thank you so much, and thanks for being on the show. You are an amazing yeah, guest. Yeah, fun. Your, your uh, listeners have great questions. It's awesome. They do. They're really smart. Like, I feel like all the questions we get are just super, super smart. And if you have a question that you want answered, go to questions at ChantelRayway.com. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to chantelrayway.com slash coaching. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.